0: Welcome, welcome, welcome! You're 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 on the Hyper guy Motivational Podcast. You hear me laughing a little bit because Graham has so much energy. My guest today, my guest today is Graham Tuttle. He is an amazing man, amazing fitness guy, and I think actually he has more energy than me, which scares me. But um, he's kind of a, a social media sensation. Uh, he is a popular in his coaching others in the areas of health and performance. He trains others to be pain-free, stronger. And stay active. He works with all aspects of uh, physical training. He's a gym owner of Graham Tuttle Fitness. He has a wonderful website, and he has a B in kinesiology and exercise science. And I'm not even going to tell everybody how many followers you, you got. I'm going to go ahead and let you do that, uh, and we're going to go over that. But thank you so much for being here today, Graham. I appreciate you.
1: I right, just getting to spend more time with you, getting to know you. I think we've got a lot of things in common, uh, but it's it's an honor. I really enjoy. Every time we get to talk and meet new people. That's the whole point of it all, really, is just to meet people and have fun conversations and enjoy life, you know?
0: So, Graham, let me ask you this. And, and I'm sorry I kind of flubbed at the beginning just because I'm so excited. We had a great conversation before we started the podcast. So, um, I, I, you know, what I love about the podcast, is I get to meet really amazing people like yourself. And you've started a great business for yourself. And you're so young and, and you have so much energy. And where were you born and raised?
1: So I was technically i was born in georgia so marietta georgia but i was only there for a year but really i spent the rest of my time in north carolina so i was 29 now and i turned so i I was there for 28 years 27 years um and then just recently as in these last few months I moved out to california to go and uh kind of pursue the next level of opportunities and development so uh but not la i think it's funny because i told everybody i was like i'm gonna move to california like they just assumed LA because it's like, oh, your social media influencer you're getting to LA. It's like, no, I'm going to Sacramento. It's like, where's Sacramento? It's like, well, yeah, this is Mark Bell at the gym and, and the podcast.
0: And you, and you happen to move during probably the hottest time of the entire history of Sacramento.
1: It's crazy because it's funny. Um, you know, Mark was talking about how hot it gets in Sacramento. Apparently, it's like the fourth hottest major city in the country or something along those lines. Like, That's interesting. But I will say, so... it it was like 115 degrees yesterday and the power went out of the gym. So everyone's like sweating and doing that stuff. Um, But I will say coming from North Carolina, I would take the hot dry heat over the humid medium heat. Like North Carolina is like 90, 95 degrees, but it's like 70, 80% humidity. It just feels like you're suffocating. And so coming out here, I'm like, yeah, it's hot. It feels like you're melting out here. Like being in the heat of just like you walk around, it's like everything just feels like your phone feels hot. Everything feels hot, but it's like, I don't know it's different. It's like, if I get in the shade with a little bit of fan, I'm okay. You know, it's like, but North Carolina, you cannot escape everything. Just your clothes stick to you. You're just like, uh, and even going out and I thought it was bad in North Carolina, but then I went out and visited um, St. Louis and this was like June or yeah, sometime early mid June. And it was 105 degrees and 80% humidity. And there's no real water nearby. I was like, Oh my God, it's suffocating. So I don't know. It was just hot everywhere. I think that's one of those things where like, so just, it's interesting. So you mentioned the idea of like having energy and, and like uh, a zest for life, so to speak. I think a big part of that comes from just really understanding and appreciating the fact that like, as far as I know, you only get to live once. And so like, anytime you don't really value time and value experience, you end up in a very contracted perspective. But it is interesting. I've kind of learned about this because I think most people we get in the summer like oh i can't wait for fall it's like gonna be a fall oh, i can't wait for winter i get a winner so i can't wait for this it's like they're constantly wishing their life away and it's like what is available to you right now like so what it's hot okay it's hot you know it's like i will it's funny because on one hand you could wish it away and think i can't wait for it to be cold i'll bundle up in sweaters and do fall weather and stuff or you could say hey you know there's going to be a time in the middle of winter that i'm going to wish it was hot and long days and so there's always trade-offs for this stuff. And I'd rather take the heat for the long days because I love the long, like, you know, get dark at eight, nine, at night. Like, those are my favorite parts.
0: So well, let me ask you this. So you have, uh, can you please tell our audience how many followers, because when you talk about a Instagram sens- uh, uh, sensation, but you're you're popular in all social media platforms. How many people, how many followers do you have? It's
1: I, it's all relative because it's funny, as I've gotten more, so I have uh, 295, 96,000 on both so TikTok and Instagram. Uh, but it's funny because like, I, and I know tangible, this is, it's all about the perspective in a sense. And I guess probably that if there's one message they get through, it's like there's, your perspective can change your lived experience of life. It, it is everything. But I, I remember when I was younger, like a, literally a year ago, so a year ago, I had 4,000 followers on Instagram and, and it's all a relative count. Cause you know, it's, it, it is a uh, kind of an arbitrary metric, but I would look at people and say, "Oh my gosh, they've got ten thousand followers. They must have so many." And then I'd go, "They have eighty thousand. They must have so much." Oh, they have three hundred thousand. They have so much. And then you think of a million, and it's like it always strucks me as like when I used to—I I still lift weights, but I, I used to care a little bit more about the numbers I'd put up. And so you get a bench press, you always hit a PR. It's like you cared about the PR. Like I bench press, I did two seventy-five. Like oh, yes. And they're like okay, two ninety-five. Next thing I can do this. And you finally, this I realized after enough of these times were like. The second it would be like, I wanted it and so desperately valued this thing until the absolute second that I knew I had it. And in which case, I was like, What's the next thing? And it was this constant, constant shifting of one thing to the next. And so I would go, I remember it was like, I pushed a, a bench 295 once, or This is a few years ago. And the second I got through the lockout, I was like, Okay, well, that was fun. And then it was just the next thing. And so I realized it's all the perspective. And if you're not careful, you end up not being able to, you know, enjoy the process because the joy, the goal is not necessarily to have been to be where you want to be. It's to have a thing you want to work towards. And so that, even though it's like, okay, if I could look, this is the, the true irony of the whole thing is I still have at least once a week where I get this like crippling period of like, I'm going to fail. Everything's going to, like, nothing's going to work out. Nothing's going to, you know, like, I'm going to, no one's going to like me. No one's going to buy our programs. No one's going to, they're not going to work. I'm going to completely fall apart. I have this like crippling moment of like, Nothing's gonna work out, but I'm like, if I were to look at myself from the outside at any other point in my life, I'm like, you're as like close to making it as you could possibly be. And since, and it's like, and if you still have those periods, like, it's funny because you talk to some people who're successful. It's like they still have these like inner moments of like doubt and insecurity. It's like, and it doesn't change. But that also, if you get the perspective, is what makes it sweet because like without that, I wouldn't value and appreciate the the reality is like, yeah, this is it's more of a rare thing. And I feel honored to be able to be in a place. Cause it just, any success I have on social media is a metric of a ability for me to communicate things well, which means I'm helping people, which means I'm able to get in front of people and like communicate something that otherwise is of value to them. And that's what I feel honored to. Cause I'm just a regular. Well,
0: guy. Let me ask you this, Graham. And I want, I want to ask you more about your family because I want to, like I guess I want to find out how you became. This, I'll answer any uh, question. It's how, how, energetic you've become and how driven. Um, Really quickly, uh, since we're on this topic of heat, um, I too, you know, I'll, I'll, I work out, it doesn't matter what the, what the temperature is like. Mm. Do you have any any tips for people working out in this kind of heat, what they should be careful about and uh, any recommendations regarding exercising in this kind of heat? This
1: is an interesting question because right now we're talking, you know, sauna and cold plans are like the big, I'm sure you've heard about that. Everyone's like, and as a as a seasoned vet, like as yourself, who's been around a few few moons have passed over the Earth, it's one thing you see these different like phases of things where it's going to be like I don't know, it's hydration and it's low fat and it's all fat and it's you know we've got this you know it's weightlifting then it's cardio that's conditioning it's like, there's some thing it goes after the next thing and so right now we're in this strange situation where there's like this unique little like bio optimizing human hacking thing we want to look at like heat so. And the idea of heat plays in well because sauna being in the sauna, the heat exposure and cold plunge are like very common. So people are talking about this stuff and I'm not, obviously there are benefits for it. And I think there are benefits as simple as saying like, yes, the human experience would have been lived outside and we would have had periods of the year where we'd go out in the cold and then periods of the year where we're out in the heat. Really, no matter where you are, it's going to be relative of course. And in that the human, the human body, the human animal has capacity to adjust to those settings to like, to navigate that, right? But it seems like we have a lot better ability to adapt to cold than we do to heat. Because even in the best of things, like we you literally melt in some capacity. So when you're moving in heat, I do think that there is, there's something to be said for acclimating to it and a little bit of mental toughness of like, okay, I'm okay. And knowing that some smart, like how to play the game. But a part of the playing the game is understanding the mental part of like, okay, it's hot, but I'm okay. And breathe and keep moving, I am okay. There's another part of understanding some cool things like okay, making sure you get your hydration. I'm a big fan of uh electrolytes in the sense this is something I've discovered more recently. Is like when you sweat, I'll say the electrolytes with the caveat because electrolytes I use element because it doesn't have a bunch of sugar in it, but um, they have potassium, magnesium, sodium, which I think are valuable to add in. But it's not as simple as just saying, Oh, I sweated a lot, let me get my electrolytes because you do lose a lot of trace things like zinc and copper. Uh, manganese like things that like you lose a lot of minerals in your sweat so all this leads me to say is that like there is something to be said for mental toughness there are skills you can develop in terms of like tactics like having a camel back, drinking water ahead of time making sure you're getting a lot of salt and sodium making sure you're getting your electrolytes as well and then like you know uh, my, being aware of how the sun and humidity plays into things but there is another part where it's like What is the purpose and the point? Like, if you have to be out and you're working out long days, like you're literally doing, I don't know, construction and you're out doing landscaping or something like that, and you're out in the middle of the the sun on a 115 degree day, it's like, yeah, okay, you you know, let's be smart. Let's cover my skin, let's drink water ahead of time, let's get my electrolytes, do this stuff. And if you're going to be an athlete, let's say you're doing Ironman or you're doing like a long endurance athlete, you're playing sports where a lot of practices and things like that happen in the middle of the day or there's competitions, you have to be able to show up, you know, it's there. But to an extent, there is a limited amount of how valuable it is. And so, you know, you think about it. Okay, sure, there's adaptation to heat, but there also is a loss of performance. Meaning, so I go out and do track workouts because I'm a little bit of a runner and I I want to be fast and do this stuff. And so I could go out and say, I'm going to schedule my workout for two o'clock in the afternoon on a hot day because it's going to be harder. It's going to be hotter. I'm going to have to work harder. But I'm going to get less of a training stimulus for it may be perceived I may have the subjective experience of, that was really hard that was actually really challenging but does that mean it was effective so like just because something is hard doesn't mean it's effective so that's the other part is like chase the hard do things that are hard or challenging but also understand what's the real goal i'm doing out here so like mental toughness do your techniques and tactics to understand how your body optimizes your nutrition and your fuel around that but also like be smart about it and if you have to be out there then yeah you'll get used to it to an extent but if you don't you know, like trained intelligently. Does that make sense to answer the question? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I always worry about like, especially I, I know like here at, when I think about the University of Southern California, their football team and they're training out in mm-hmm. pads in the in the afternoon. Um, I wonder, man, that's got to affect, like you said, they're they're getting training in, but how effective really is that when you're in those kind of conditions, correct?
1: Well, and that's the thing is there is, I think we lose a lot of the nuances of these important conversations when it, the reality is like, Yeah, okay, it's mental toughness. Yeah, we want to work hard. Yeah, we want to do this stuff. and Yeah, we're going to acclimate to it. But, like, there is only so much you can acclimate to. Like, I do think the humans are better. People can live in Alaska a little bit. And, obviously, you can freeze to death. But it's like there's something about that heat that really, like, really just – I mean, Wim Hof, for example, you can go and walk and generate a lot of heat internally with your breathing. But who's the Wim Hof of Sauna? You know, it's like, I don't quite know because there's a certain level of like humans can live in Arctic temperatures and walk across Antarctica and be in cold and swim in ice caves. It's like, I don't know how much of that happens with the heat because at a certain point, like you do do nature proteins in your body and it does change things. So like, it's just be smart. And if your coach is like, that's the hard part. A lot of these kids don't get to choose it. The coaches are just like, you know, Hey, this is how we do things here. It's like,
0: okay. Yeah. (laughs) Well, let me ask you this question. So when you, when you were growing up, do you have any brothers and sisters?
1: I have one younger sister. She is two years, one year three hundred sixty-three days younger than me. So almost two years.
0: And what was your, what was it like growing up for uh, when you were growing up? Give me an idea of what were, your, what was life like for you growing up.
1: I would say that there's, uh, I, I neither. So the, this is the interesting thing. So like I was, I could not, you know, I didn't, wouldn't know any different because I've only lived one life. Therefore, everything I've lived, the, the hard challenging things for like breakups with girlfriends and stuff like that like those are the challenging things but like i don't think you have the ability as a kid and that's the the bliss thing is like as a kid you're not comparing to other kids it's once you start comparing to other kids that's when things get really tough because it's like so and so has this and i don't have that but as far as i knew as a kid i never wanted for anything we had food we had shelter with everything i had two loving parents that stayed together the one thing they were really good the two things my parents did really well is like we had very specific times where we come together. We always had family dinner together. That was really meaningful. Um, it just kind of set the precedent to have, like, you know, we come and do this. But outside of that, we had a lot of free time, a lot of independence. And so, you know, I know a lot of people do all this stuff with their family. and know some people do, like, the everything. It's like, but I felt like my parents did a really good job of two things. One is allowing us to step into more independence and autonomy as we grow older. So, like, there was a clear, like, when you're 13, you get to watch these things, but not these things. When you're 17, you get to do these things and not these things. We're... I know it gets harder and harder with like cell phones and social media and stuff now, because there's like, how do you, you can't really control the flood of it all, but they did a really good job of like allowing us to understand that with more responsibility comes with more, like as you get older, you have more responsibility. And so the trade off there, but also like allowing us to really explore our curiosity. So like they would never push us into anything that we weren't interested in. And so there was a lot of independence. So both my sister and I developed this like, very independent, very curious, very autonomous people with the healthy safety net of like having a good family. And so that was like a really valuable thing, having both of those, because I think a lot of people, I see it on extreme, either you don't have a solid family net, but you do have a lot of freedom and independence, in which case you don't have the confidence to go explore things safely, or you have the healthy safety net that ends up being suffocating because your parents or family never, like you have obligations. Like, you know, you got to be a good son. You got to take care of this. You got good family. You family. And it's like, you never get to be an individual because you're always in the identity that you assume from your family. So I think I see both sides of that. And I feel very grateful and blessed that I was able to kind of skirt in that in the middle of those two things. And outside of that, it's, you know, I worked hard in school. Didn't really miss much. I was pretty perfect attendance and just kind of showed up and like, I oh, wasn't anything special, but I just kept showing up. And eventually I realized like, all right, it's kind of like what I enjoy about running is if you keep showing up, you'll you'll get the job done. It's like I need to go from here to here. It's like okay, so keep showing up. It's like, oh, well, yeah, just don't quit, and you'll get successful at some point.
0: <laughs> and what, who are your role models growing up?
1: That's a, my dad's always been a really good role model, just in terms of managing this. But like, it, it's uh, he managed. One of the things I've noticed, and this is, I think is interesting, is like, as you watch your parents age, you start to see the shift in their mental, emotional health. And you start to see that when you're a kid, and so I'll say this too, and this is, I don't know how many people do this, but when I was a kid, I didn't ask a lot of questions about my parents. I just kind of created versions. So this is saying like, it's better to keep your heroes at a distance. Uh, You know, it's like, because the idea is like, people are just people. And if I idolize you and like, oh my gosh, Martin is just awesome guy, I Can't like, he's just amazing. And then I get to meet you and like, oh wait, he goes to, you know, it's like he's just a normal guy and he's got these things or these problems. It's like, oh. So what I ended up doing, and inevitably this actually, it worked well for my favorite, but I created this version of my parents that like, when they were young, they were perfect. They never did drugs, they have never like, you know, did all these things and the right stuff. They're these perfect people that would never do anything, you know, bad, so to speak. And so I lived up to that, like, oh, should I go to school today? Of course. Yeah, my mom would never skip school. My dad would never do this. You know? And so I just literally had this version, which I realized since I got older, was completely not like them at all. They had a very troubled, rough, unique upbringings and experiences that I like. I just didn't even ask questions. So I just like, So I, here's I'll I'll liken it to this. You ever watched that, uh, the documentary, It's the Last Dance, the Michael Jordan one? Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. So, you know, he talks about this story where, you know, some he's walking off the court and some guy like, made this comment to him about how oh it got you on that one or beach on that one, or something along those lines. It's a very small thing. And then he's like, I use that as fuel. I didn't like that. And he's like he came back, he trained hard for like it was like weeks or months. He just worked his ass off to just really get in there and like focus on something, like being the best he could be used that as fuel. And then the joke of it is you find out at the end of the episode that it didn't even happen. He made up this exchange to give himself motivation to go work on something. And so in some senses it's like growing up there were people I esteemed who wanted to be like I I uh my parents were christian like grew up i i inherited a very religious perspective of that so i took the christianity and then took all the rules from that and applied it to my life so like there were a lot of things that i just kind of created a lot of structure for myself internally that ended up creating a lot of suffering unintentionally for myself just based off of like you're not doing the right stuff and it it's uh but I, I it wasn't like it wasn't like I grew up and had a bunch of role models. It's like I kind of picked this stuff up. Like there are people I look up to, but it was always someone that was doing what I did but did it better. So like, you know, whatever. It's interesting to think about because it wasn't like I walked through with a bunch of like role models I want to do this, want to do that. It was just like I just kind of like kept my head down and just did the next thing that seemed obvious to me. And I guess in some capacity, I think I picked on more role models as I've gotten older
0: and what an what, what what kind of sports did you play growing up and you're you're you're, you're a great athlete um, and what i what i what i what i really like about you is you're what i really really enjoy about you is that uh, you really focus on personal physical development mm-hmm. it's, you know that not all of us are going to be professional athletes but you can be a good athlete and it's, yeah. and you can be and you can be smart how you train and if you have injuries you very much focus on how to prevent those injuries. And if you do have those injuries, give us steps on how to work through those things. Where did you learn that philosophy from? Like, where did that come from?
1: Well, it came from not being athletic at all. So uh, the the broad, broad picture of it all is that when I was, I, don't know, I had very weak eyesight when I was born. So like I've worn glasses glasses since I was two. And they're like, I'm talking like real thick ones. Like I've actually never met someone with worse eyesight than me that's not legally blind. So like I'm talking like plus 8.75 and plus nine. Like, so the stigmatism, like really poor eyesight. So, um, you know, what that meant is that I... I didn't do a really good job of like, sitting down and like being a sit down, pay attention, write this thing in school. So I was always moving. And so like, I just didn't do a good job of sitting. So when I found sports, it was literally everything. It was back there, football, basketball, softball, baseball, soccer, like rugby, frisbee, literally anything I could think of like tennis. It was just like one sport off the next. Cause it just meant That's when I felt really at peace. And something I thought about a lot is that I think a lot of my productivity and my ability to produce comes from a deep, potentially you could take a deeper unrest at just being still and just kind of like sitting and enjoying it. Like I like to have stimulus. I like to go. And so the idea of like a sport requires the combination of discipline, which is work. Meaning I have to have a set of skills to be able to run, jump, move, play, throw, hold on to something, engage with the ball, but also play, which is letting go of that. So like, that's the beauty of it is like you have to do the work to develop the skills. And then once you have the skills, you can create a container within which you can play, which is I mean you add in variables and you can do that. So it, it, both of those requires like I have to be present and physically there because you know, I can't let my mind wander because there's a the discipline part. But it's like that creates the space where the play is like, oh, there's the spontaneity, there's creativity. So that really just like clicked a part of my brain that just wasn't getting scratched anywhere else. And so I played all kinds of sports and I was always decent enough. I was big enough or decent enough that like I was never picked last, but it was never great at anything. And so, but the problem was that when you wear glasses, because the lenses are in front, you don't develop peripheral vision. So the idea of like, you, you learn to see straight forward. So instead of moving your eyes around, you move your head around and you don't necessarily like, there's this peripersonal space to be able to see things to your side and feel them. And you can develop it like a muscle. I can develop that. But like, I don't have that. I can, my peripheral vision got messed up. And so or I didn't develop well, just like your, uh, your writing, if you your non-dominant hand doesn't ride as well. So what ended up happening is because I didn't develop as well of a peripheral vision and a, like a sensorial capacity when there were too many variables. Like I could play three on three basketball really well, but five on five was too much. And if it would get a little darker at night, like someone's throwing the football, things are moving really quickly. I just couldn't keep up with it. So like, I just couldn't manage it. So, All that meant is that when I tried out for my sixth grade football team, you put the helmet on, you can't put your helmet on specs because I played soccer for years and everything else because the specs are these big goggles that wrap around your head and then pull them down. So you have to have glasses that hook around your ears. And so, you know, I just didn't develop the physical athleticism and coordination that I otherwise could have until I got glasses or contacts. So I got contacts in my sixth grade right after that football failed tryout and then that allowed me to say, okay, card start to see things. But at that point, my mom was really worried about concussions and a lot of head injuries. So she was like, oh, I don't want you to do this, this, and this. Um, and I got into track across the country, which was kind of co- combined some of this. I had friends that did it. So like that's kind of why I stayed, because you know, it's like you go run, you meet up your friends, you run around. But it was like running a hamster on a wheel. It's like I just get after school, just run and run and run and run and run and just burn off my energy. And it kind of worked. And so like I would go to school, I'd run, and just kind of had a routine. But then as I got out of that. What I really envied, and if I could go back and go to high school again, like I would go into a team sport, something that involved more play, something that involved more like challenge and skill. Because you know, even though you're doing track and cross country, like the track, I'm doing the two mile event or the mile, or you know, the four by if you're really fast. And I finally got to the four by fours, which I really loved. But the problem is, you're not actually using any of the skills. You're not throwing things. You're not sprinting. They don't teach you how to run. They just teach you how to grind. I like, gotta right, go do this this many miles for this many minutes, and then come back and we'll see you later. It's like. So what I always envied and what I always really looked up to were people who had the skill set to be able to, to move well, to jump and to throw and to like catch a ball and like be coordinated and make it look smooth. Just, just I made mean, sure you, I, as a jiu-jitsu guy, I'm just getting into some jujitsu. jitsu like you see people that just, it's. Uh, so a good friend of mine in SEMA who's is many levels better than me, but will roll and like it's amazing. He doesn't even look at me. He he like he, he rolls and he's just like his eyes, he's looking out to the side, like he's just feeling everything. And I'm like, there's such like an in-touchness. And there's that, I I, I realized, okay, there's something that these people have that I never developed, but I think I can work on developing that. So that really became the thing of deeply understanding that I was just average in many capacities. But because I was average, I also knew what it felt like to suck at things and I could embrace the learning thing. So I could say, huh, they do that when they run, or they do this when they throw a ball, or they do this. So I just got really good at watching people, observing them, and then trying to just not make the mistakes. And so that was really the skill, like you asked about role models as a kid. It's like, it wasn't so much that I had role models, but I got really good at spending time with older people, asking questions, watching the way they did things, and just assuming that I wasn't that much different from them. It's so, okay, if they're doing this, and I'm probably not that much different from them, and so now I'm just got kind of like okay, so I got really good at not making the mistakes other people did. And so that's what like, I kind of stayed away from a lot of, like, the devastating life tragedies, like, you know, um, it, it, that could get you locked up or killed or stuff like that. So it's like, I kind of just navigated those. And I just used that framework to start watching people and say, okay, let me learn how to run and jump and throw it. So over years, it was like, first it was get out of pain. Because ironically, it's like, if you don't know how to move well, you end up in pain. So it was like, let me get out of pain, learn how the body works. And then it's like, let me start to apply this to like, how would I learn how to run? And what muscles, What? how do I move my feet? How do I move my fingers? How do I move my spine? How do I like add in skill and coordination? And how do I train that to be a little stronger? And so the cool thing is I've been able to craft to the point that people look at me and they think, like, oh, you look athletic. It's like, that's funny because I'm very not athletic internally. And so it's just developing that. It takes time, but it is something you could do. So at this point, what I really look at is saying is, I view athleticism as the highest expression of the physical human form, meaning that like, if the bodies were blessed to have, it's like to really present that as people can run and jump and throw and swing and hang and carry and climb and roll. Like those are the things that make you an athlete. If you can do that, you can do a lot. And so the best way you can honor that is to train in a way that incorporates all these different things while being strong and taking care of your health. And so my goal is to be able to document that because like, if I can, Get to that point then if you can run and jump and sprint it means you're out of pain it means you're coordinated it means you have capacity and my goal is to give people that capacity back in their body and it, it, well they have to do that but to inspire them that is possible
0: so let me ask understand? you so a total 100 percent. so I, i'm so inspired by what you're saying so let me ask you this question so did you go to college and know hey i'm gonna do something i'm gonna do kinesiology i mean did you know in your mind because hey i, I you were so fascinated by how the body works and you were so driven to get better in terms of how you approach mm-hmm. exercise and fitness. Did you know that going to college, this is what I want to do?
1: No. And that's an interesting, so this is something that I when I talk to a lot of the kids I work with, I think most people make decisions on what they want to do. Like, first off, I really, really, really wish I'd done two things in college. One, take a gap year and two spend the first two years at the community college. And just like, cause I really think people understand that they will spend 20, 30, 40, 50, 100, 200,000 to go to a school that they don't know what to do. And I'm talking like younger kids. And it seems like kids are developing a little bit slower than they were in the past. But like, I so wish I had, because going back, it's like, it's not that I, I really didn't drink. I actually didn't drink. Until I got alcohol at all. Like, I don't think I had my first beer. I had a beer in college and I just was very focused on, like, I don't know. I, I just, I have very simple, like, I don't eat a lot of food with spices. Apparently, that's a, not, I, people, Laughing when I do that, but I thought like, I don't enjoy spices. But I'm very fine. I enjoy vanilla ice cream. It's like because if you can enjoy the simple, basic things, and you can enjoy everything that adds on top of that. But the point being is, a lot of kids go into college without really knowing what they want to do, and that's totally fine. But they don't have the curiosity and the self confidence to just try a bunch of stuff. They go in with this predetermined set of criteria they haven't really named. And so for me, what I realized is that there are three things. It's one is secure me is there likely going to be a job is it going to be something two does it make a lot of money and a lot is always relative but it's like does it look like it's going to make more money than so and so like that's why like if you want to be a nurse people always be a nurse nurse anesthetist as opposed to like a you know just like a palliative care nurse because it's like a nurse anesthetist are the ones to make the most money so people want to do that it's like well do you even know what anesthetist means <laughs> it's like or you just look at the pay chart the pay scale and then three is does it sound good so like every most, a lot of other people like, I'll go to med school when I go to college. That was what I tell people because it sounds good. It makes money and stable. It had nothing to do with whether I actually felt contour or whether I liked it because I'm like, you know, I think there's another hard part with most of our school now has gotten very standardized. And again, that's not a problem because there are, we do need to, everyone needs to standardize and learn the alphabet so we can speak the same language and do that kind of stuff. So I do hate when people criticize certain things. Like it's easy to criticize an institution and lose the fact that like, you know, like law enforcement, for example, is you're highly involved in. It, it's easy to criticize something and say, "Well, are you bit?" You're happy that the police are there when you need to call them. It's like it's one of those things where like people, it's easy to tear things down. So not to just tear things down and say, well, the education system doesn't work." I do think that there is a loss of a a like a dimensionality to it, meaning like there is a keeping up with the Joneses rat race effect, where like you go up, it's well, would you rather take the athletic training or the anatomy class in high school, or do you want to take the AP calculus class? Because that's going to look better for college education as you college get in. So like, I do think that what is interesting about social media is that the best possible aspect of social media and the, like let's say Instagram and Twitter is that Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Snapchat, TikTok, whatever, is it's encouraged to encourage ground roost individualism, which I think is lacking from the other side, which is like, okay, I want, I'm interested in this. Let me go explore this and do this kind of thing, which is, Again, there's a probuck you can't standardize curiosity and individualism. But I think if you have parents, you have people, they have opportunities for kids to think about themselves as like a unique individual that has an like individual perception, perception that can bring something of value to the world. You get people to think differently about this stuff. But since you don't, you go into these kind of like these next chapters of life, like, oh, I'm going to go to college or high school. My only goal in high school is to have the highest GPA possible and not miss a day, always be good at my sport, and like get A's and everything and take as many AP classes as I could but that doesn't, there's no room for creativity in that. And so my biggest process is like, if there was one art overarching thing that defined my life, it was, I set a bunch of rules for myself that were arbitrarily based off of constraints that were labeled by a religion, by a parent, by some thing that I just made up in in many things. And this is nothing to do with the religion or the actual fact of it. It's like my internalizing. I like to have a lot of rules because I was always looking for some form of truth, for stability, for certainty. So I'd go and say, oh, my parents said, these are, the, these are good, these are bad. And so I would look for the, especially her up the Southern United States, it was like there is a lot of cultural norms that were kind of weaved into Christianity that were, had nothing to do with the actual experience of the faith. It was just much more of like, we don't do this, that's not polite. So I just set a bunch of rules. And so ultimately, when those rules didn't work out, because they created a structure that my, like, let's say soul, so to speak, wasn't happy living in like a bird in a cage, it broke. You know, we got married very young and that unfortunately uh, it, that we, we went different ways amicably, but it was just a, you know, left lesson learned, losing friends at a young age, having career aspirations and things you think you're going to have work out. Like you ultimately not being satisfied with the things you think you can earn and, and work towards. So just seeing those arbitrary rules I set fall apart. So all that started is you see this kind of echoing. I go to college. It's like I had no idea what I want to do because I never want to ask myself, what am I actually interested in? Because if I was really interested and really honest, it was like, it was not so much what I'm interested in because I really was fascinated about the body and like moving and I know I liked people I knew I like to create things I knew I liked working with the body, which I've worked my way into a perfect career for me it's a made up job but I didn't ever think about that because I never paused I never had the idea of like Oh, what would it look like because at the time, my greatest priority was creating security and stability. I'm going to figure out who I'm going to marry, what I'm going to believe, where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do, what my job is going to be. I'm going to figure this out when I'm 22 and I'm never going to change for the rest of my life. And whether or not most people say that, a lot of people go in with that as their main thing. And it's like, that's totally fine. If you want the job, with the pension, you want a very specific thing, that's wonderful. But it doesn't work for a lot of people that are a little bit more creative minded. And I think for most people, having a meaning and a purpose that it's not so much that it has to be this grand overarching meaning and purpose, but it just needs to be something that they choose something like, you know, I don't, I don't need it to be this, like, it, like having some autonomy. Like I've, I remember this it, in prison. I think it's both in prison and also in uh, retirement homes. It's like people who had the ability to set up and organize the room that they wanted to reported a lot more happiness. So like you may be stuck in a cell or assisted living, but if you can put the books where you want and you can organize the stuff, there's like a sense of autonomy. And I think, in life, we're given a set of constraints, meaning I, you know, like two is I can, my height is mostly fixed, my skin tone, my ethnicity, my inheritance, my this to some extent, uh, intelligence quotient, uh, but also like the, the amount of years I live where I, you know, there's a lot of things that were kind of set as constraints. And I think there is, on one hand, a longing for people to say, I want to just get rid of all that and just be whatever, I have absolute freedom. But when faced with absolute freedom, I think most people just freak out because, like, we need freedom without constraints is chaos. And most people, like I think all humans, don't really thrive in chaos. I think that's the point is like we're trying to find some order, structure, like go to bed at this time, go to bed at that time. Schizophrenia is for people who've lost all sense of social norms and are just completely unbound. So the idea though is that, like, it's in, it's not saying I need to have this freedom because the people that wish for that, I think they just are misplacing a desire to have just more autonomy in their life. And so whenever they have that, it's like, what is it that I actually want to want? Not what do I want? Because what do I want is influenced by like my family, what I was told is right, what I was told is wrong. It's like, What do I wish that I wanted? And so that question alone, just thinking about that is like, okay, you know, it's like you're to think about what's out there. Because I remember going into high school and college and I was like, there's like three jobs. you could be a lawyer, be a firefighter, you could be a... a a doctor and like that was it because i remember but i used to have this sensation i would drive by these houses especially in smaller towns and just go like you have a job you have a job you have a job most people i'm assuming but it's like what do you do in the middle of you know wedding to north carolina or like or say st louis missouri like what does everybody do you go to the middle of alaska like what is? i drove through a town coming back from like tahoe yesterday and there's a sign through the town was called as population 139 i'm like that's so specific but like what do these people do like what do they do and then you realize like there are infinite amount of jobs like if i provide value for you in a way that you couldn't do for yourself or you you provide you want to exchange money for value it's like that's a job and so like but that amount of like infinite options is overwhelming to kids and so like for they're like the simplest i have to do this and so ultimately I went in with those criteria and I was like, well, what sounds good? What makes a lot of money? What seems stable? And I was like, oh, middle school. And I got in the first year of chemistry. Even though I did well at like chemistry in high school, I hated it. And I was like, I did that. So then I bounced around from that. I was going to go be a missionary in Spain. I was going to go do math and statistics. I was going to go uh, do, uh, learn Spanish as my, like, a primary thing. It was gonna, like physical therapy, occupational therapy, nursing, nurse practitioner. And it was like, none of it stuck. But the only thing I... If i am really honest, like I just love to move. I love to play sports, and I love to like meet people. I just love to be social. I just loved it all. And it's hard because, like, what do you do? How do you make that a career? So I went to career services, and like, well, do you think you do well in exercise sports science? I'm like, yeah, but you can't be a personal trainer. That's not a real job. I mean, that's like, what do you do? Like, what is that? i would have to tell my parents to send me to school to be a personal trainer. Like, get out of here. So I was like, I could go be a physical therapist. So I, I did all the classes. I took like seven anatomy and eight physiology, just because the one for exercise science. We're not the ones for physical therapy. pre we're not the ones for nursing. It was just like, it was stupid. So I took a bunch of these things. And ultimately it was like, I got through that stuff. And then I was like, I can't, I did shadowing physical therapy. I'm like, it's so retroactive. You have to be stuck with insurance companies. People don't care. They're only there because insurance is paying for it. It's miserable. I'm like, this is just, I, that's one thing I've always been honest about what just isn't right for me. I, by the time when I get to some point, I'm like, this just isn't working for me. And at least I'm like, it's just not working for me. And I like say no at some point. It Sometimes it takes a long time to get to that point, but like I've consistently gotten faster at the Delta between when I know something is right for me, when I act on it, like, that is the growth of my life at some point. is like getting shorter and shorter in that time. And so then... I graduated and I was going to do nursing because someone said that would be good. You get like four days off a week or something like that. I was going to apply. I didn't get in. So then I applied for the internship at a gym. It was at the, the only thing I really loved is like I worked with a professor and I would work out with him. I loved it. It's amazing. And then I would go work at the school gym. There's the places I felt happy and healthy. I felt it just feels right. So I applied for an internship at the gym when I graduated because of course you go to four year degree and at a UNC Chapel Hill and say, like, what are you going to do? Oh, I'll be an intern at the gym that I worked at. Cause like, that's as much growth as I've made, <laughs> but I ultimately didn't get that, but he introduced me to this uh, athletic training facility. And I walked in that place as D one is a bunch of franchises for them. But like this one is now closed, but I mean, I walked into this place. It was 30 yards across by 50 yards deep of indoor turf with 30 foot ceilings. And there's a hallway room and it's massive speakers. It's blasting music and there are athletes be working. And I walk in. It was like, this is heaven. And it was just that moment. And that is one thing like, I do know. Like I have a very strong intuitive sense that I've learned to trust more as I've gotten older. Is like, if I get a feel, like when I make the content, it, I don't know how to describe this, but like if you just have an idea, I will get a visual, like a actually absolute with color visual for exactly what it's gonna look like and what I need to build. And then I work backwards from that. So if I, I walk in, like I walk into this place. I'll meet somebody like I already met you and I know we're going to be friends. So it's like, I meet someone like this feels right. Or this place feels right. Or like I walked in when I ended up opening my own gym, I walked in, it was like a garage, like an old auto shop. And I remember I walked in, it was like, I immediately was like, it's going to go here, turf here, this. And it's like, those are when I know. And if I don't have that, I just can't do it. Like it's, it's unfortunate because I don't know how to quantify that, but like, so hopefully to wrap all that up, you see that like the person that I really am, was at odds with how I learned to navigate the world in a sense. And I think that's part of it, which is like the mind and the soul in some capacity is there is an odds. And so my growth and development has learning to square the difference between those two and allow them to work in harmony so that they're now the strengths of each can combine. But as a kid, it was like the things i set up a lot of rules for myself, but eventually it took a long time for those to break and then say, you know, let's fill this in some space. I don't know what it looks like, but we'll try So that's
0: a a long, I I, love, I love Graham because you're so, you're so creative and, and I think that you're, I mean, I think studies have indicated the same thing. I mean, I, I think anyone that micromanages an organization or a company, they just fail ultimately because people have to be, feel like they have some autonomy and they're invested in their own success. And if you micromanage, you don't feel like that at all. You actually feel mm. the opposite. You don't have any autonomy at all. And so you don't feel like you're really invested in that product or whatever you're producing. I think that you're like the embodiment of creativity and just taking ownership. And let me ask you this. So um, what would you tell somebody? Because I I, um, I guess you probably get these questions all the time. So I guess what would you tell people that that are scared of beginning to to get into exercising because Mm -hmm. they've had lifelong injuries or, you know what, I've had all these injuries and, you know, um, and and almost in some ways I've heard some people say, you know, after a while, they're so afraid of of engaging in exercise because they have those injuries that maybe those injuries aren't even as bad as they were before, but they're so afraid of taking that first step. Mm -hmm. How do you engage those people and what would you tell them to get going in terms of, getting into exercise and physical fitness. And I guess the second part of that would be, is it possible to live or I guess do certain exercises to keep your joints and your, you know, your body moving even into your eighties? Oh yeah.
1: So the to tackle the first part of that, one of which I think the most effective thing for people to understand this is that, A lot of times we think of ourselves as like a car parked on a flat, flat road in the sense it's like, Oh yeah, I'm just here. I'm just going to wait. Like I, maybe not this week, but next week I'll get there. And it's like, it's kind of like this procrastination when we feel okay with procrastinating because we think we're parked on a flat road. The reality is there's no such thing as a flat road in life. It's slightly less level. So like, unless you were actively going up the hill, you're going down the hill. So by waiting another week or a year or a month, you're not only not getting better, you're actively getting weaker. You're losing muscle mass. And even though it doesn't show, if you think about your capacity in a sliding scale of like a hundred being like the maximum potential you have and zero being like, I have, you know, I'm injured and frail, I'm dead really. But like, the, instead of saying, Oh, I'm just here. I'm just, I'm not going to, I didn't work out last week. I'm not, I don't really, I want to get in shape or whatever it is, like whatever it is we visualize as our set of goals and uh, priorities. We look and say, Oh, I'll just stay here. I'll stay at like a 50. And it's like, no, no, no. Like a month from now, you're going to be at a 47. That's what the slow age. And so, you know, to, to tackle the next part, is like, "Can we be fit and healthy in our 80s?" It's like, absolutely, but it's kind of like erosion. It's at a certain point, it's it's if we are not like so. To use that same analogy, a lot of times people when they train, they just they want to maintain. I want to maintain. I want to maintain. The problem is there's no maintaining because there's no flat level. You have to strive to be better, or else you were slowly going back. Because maintaining, if you and so by striving to be better, you will ultimately maintain. So this is why it's it's not so much the external. So saying. For example, let's just say I want to bench press and just yeah, – I, oh, I like running. So let's just say I want to be able to run a six-minute mile seven-minute mile. Okay, So the amount of effort it would take you to do that when you're 18 or 28 or 30 is going to be here. But you may maintain the same output, but you have to put more – you have to continue to work harder to do that. So the thing is that – and I will say that's mitigated by the skill, meaning you – as you are younger and less skilled, you use more energy. As you become more skilled, you use less energy. And so you've noticed this as like someone that leads and has different departments, even as your fourth or fifth, uh, how many degrees you have at this point, like you're doing more challenging things and it is your, your output remains the same. I'm still achieving this thing, but it's less energy because you have a higher skill. You know how to study, you know how to set yourself up. So the more accurate your attempt is, the less force you need. That's a really valuable thing. I think it's like, when we have to really smash something, it's because we don't understand the thing we're trying to do. So ultimately, there is no like you are as healthy and as old as your uh, your a your joints in a sense. So like your capacity for your joints to move, your your organs, your skin, there's no reason that they age. I mean, there are obviously things like gravity and rotational forces that happen and act on us, but like we as humans are constantly remodeling and re-evolving. Like there is we are programmed we have the so we have the capacity to learn success skills to improve things to eat and our bodies are not like a car that just wears down we're constantly rejuvenated. every seven years every single cell in your body has rejuvenated and remodeled. and there's different time preferences for that based off of the like the stop gaps you need to have so you don't like turn a bone into you know uh a tendons and like your bone needs to be bone your tendency to be tendon but like you can slowly adjust that so your body is the cumulative effect of what you need so the total amount of output you want to work towards something to maintain will – you have to work hard. Like there is no way around it. When we don't have work in our life, we don't have something that's challenging, that causes us to get up and have to do things, we inevitably go down because gravity is always fighting. Gravity is always bringing you down. So there is no reason you can't be healthy like, – this is a really big misunderstanding so people have this idea that like up until a few hundred a few thousand years ago every the average human only lived like 20 or third it's like oh we we grew, grew pretty young because we died young it's like well the only thing that and those are based off of these average life expectancy statistics that basically don't dissociate they don't uh, differentiate out differentiate out childbirth deaths and like you know death and childbirth and like acute deaths so like The human body, the human animal has the capacity to live in 60s, 70s, 80s, and our health span has gotten dramatically worse. So the average person, especially in America, only lives to be 66 of healthy years. That means after the age of 66, for most people, and that's what's crazy. You think I get a midlife crisis when I'm 50. It's like for most people, unless you take care of yourself and actively do things that are hard, when you hit 33, you're halfway through your life. Because, yes, sure, you may have 10 more years living in a living or in a wheelchair, but like if you have one or more metabolic illnesses where your brain is no longer functioning, your body is no longer functioning, you can't live, it's like you're slowly losing the capacity. You have the diabetes, you have some type of disease, you have uh, neurological disorders that start to happen. And this is all preventable because it's not that our bodies have changed. It's that the, the environment we live in, the food, the toxins, the things we're exposed to have adjusted it. So to, to tie that and then bring one point is, Yes, it's it's not only possible, it's natural for humans to live well at their 60s, 70s, and 80s to be healthy. But the harder part is it's not just about exercise. The movement is, it's kind of like breathing. You have to breathe. And there are certain ways you can breathe that are more, that serve you better than others. You have to move. But there's also things to understand. It's not just that, like, it's your light exposure. It's being out of the sun. It's being able to touch the earth. It's being able to eat. It's understanding your sleep. It's understanding your mental side. Do I have meaning and purpose? And I think more than that, all it's what you believe if you believe that your life has meaning that you have something that is of value to live, I honestly think that matters more than anything else, which is why you will always see someone that smokes cigarettes. with the 104 and you know, it's like, or they didn't eat this, they eat this diet. It's like, you see an athlete, it's like, Oh my God, what is, you know, what is uh, LeBron needs? Like it, it made, LeBron's not a good example. Cause he's probably got some like doubt and thing, but like, these athletes at like Kevin Durant, it's like, oh, they're eating Skittles and Pop-Tarts before their game. It's like, you know, it's like, it's what you believe. If you believe that you have meaning of something in your life that is of value, you will show up. That is like people will survive on no sleep. I mean, yes, there are things that can make you better, but like, we get so caught up in pampering ourselves that we forget like, and this brings up the last point, which is it's called the Citadel effect, which basically is like, if something doesn't come natural to you, you tend to talk down about how valuable it is. So let's just say you have an injury or let's say you, you struggle to lose weight and say, okay, well, I don't know what to do. So well, it's, it's not even that important to be healthy. You know, it's not even that important to be like, uh, to not be overweight. It's not even that important to be able to to run. Let's just say your feet have hurt forever and it's saying, you know, whatever, I, I can't run. But it's like, what's well, not even that important? It's like, okay, well, is it not that important or you just weren't able to achieve that? Therefore, you're now bringing down the rest of the world. So instead of elevating yourself to like, I could do this, I want to do this and saying, I tried and I, for whatever reason, I wasn't able to be successful in the amount of effort and thing i put into it it's just not that important so like the citadel effect is you bring whatever you can do and you create a wall around the outside so um ultimately what that is though is you see the same thing with this meaning and purpose is like people a lot of times people get to the end of their life and i think the biggest regret that they have is reported by studies is that they never let themselves be happy or they didn't associate and attach themselves to something or they had some negative connotation around the meaning or they felt like they chase the wrong ladder. Like they work for money, they work for status, they work for fame for years and years and years, and they realize like that actually didn't do anything for me. And then they instead of regretting that stuff, they say, "Well, it doesn't really matter anyway." They say, "Well, I'll just die, nothing matters." Like I don't know the answers to that stuff, but I will say like I do really, really think that one of the biggest things that matters for health, and this is one of the things they don't talk about—the blue zone thing where they talk about people live forever. Even there's a lot of problems with that. Is these people have communities, they have meaning, and even if your meaning is just like I got to go get water for the tribe, I got to go get water, I got to. You know, like, or the fact that like, I need to have kids so that our society and species continues to go. Like, it could be as simple as like, I got to pick up the trash because it's someone's going to show up at a really value. And I want to make sure everything looks good. It's like meaning and purpose is so fundamentally crucial to our human existence that I think that is what undergirds our ability to survive. And, And people do amazing things. Like there are stories of people doing amazing things when it's aligned with some form of like, I have like a purpose. So I, think, yeah, I,
0: like, I, I, I yeah. think you're totally right, Graham. I think, I think it's having purpose and having a growth mindset, right? So, I, what I hear from you is that you just don't stop. Like you're constantly trying to grow. You're constantly trying to push yourself. And I 100% agree with you. Is those people that I know that have lived long, healthy lives? They they just don't stop. They're constantly growing. They're constantly reading. They're constantly they're exercising. They're doing things to keep their body and their mind active. Conversely, I've seen people that Retired, you know, young and stop learning and stopped growing. And the next time I saw them, they looked like they were, you know, 30 years that older age, than yeah. Than, yeah and, and it just breaks my heart. And let me ask you this if you what do you tell somebody if they're in a in a in a space whether they're they're depressed or whether they, you know, physically, I just I don't have the energy gram. So I go to you and I say, I just don't have an energy gram to do this. I, I have all these injuries and I can't do it. How do you motivate them so much? And I think that's part of the reason what I love about your Instagram. Mm -hmm. When when you turn that in, you are so positive and so motivating and you don't take no uh, for an answer. How do you motivate people so much? So
1: there's a few things in and some of this is like, well, it's a beneficial aspect there. Like the drive and the work ethic does. I think at some point the so there's two parts one of which is like i still have times where i don't have energy i feel tired and a lot of that goes in like if my sleep is off it's like you know it, it just is like sometimes you need to sleep more and i think some of those is like when people have the energy it's like to answer the first question i think you have to connect that to a their why in a sense like okay you know like i don't want to do this so well, yeah like I, a lot of days i don't want to go to the gym a lot is like i every time i get up and go to a running workout i'm like oh, i do not want to do this because it's tough with my feet like it's just it's just a lot it's like it's I would rather do that, but I know that like ultimately for me what really drives me is like a there's an unhealthy aspect, which would be like a I won't feel like I can, you know, I, I feel like I didn't earn my food and my sleep. I like I gotta go out and do something. I need to make something because it's like, you know, the, the the healthier perspective is like you get to do this and do something from love. Like the unhealthy and this is what I'm shifting to is like I have to do this. Cause if I don't get up and make this post or do this thing or show up and like be the best I can be, I'm gonna fail, no one's gonna like me and I'm gonna, you know, starve and die alone. Like there's a little bit of that, but that's moving away from. And so that I think is like, broadly speaking, pain is our first teacher in life. So like you think about this is like pain is what informs the people. Like, I don't have pain. It's like, well, I think the problem is you're, you're the issue is people are in pain. They have a misunderstanding of what the pain is. Pain is a blessing because pain gives you direction. If you are at the level of you need to learn from pain, you're going to experience pain. Meaning... If my feet hurt, pain is a temporary reminder of our current situation. And those people don't like pain because they don't like it. If you have the pain of disease or illness because you sat around or you did something that was unhealthy or you like, you know, for example, I take it, hit myself in the head with a hammer and I'm in pain. Well, that's a reminder that I hit myself in the head with a hammer or I did. I've done something in my life. And most people don't like the pain because it's a reminder of something that they don't want to have been true. And so there's two ways you can handle it. You can either run away from the pain you can numb it and ignore it and do drugs and whatever it is. Like they, they shut your brain down, like get you away from the place where you're actually soberly looking at it. Or you could lean into it and say, right, what got me here? Why? Here? Like, what is this? And that's what I think of love is like the idea of see things clearly. It's like, what is my past? What is the story? You know, like, okay. And maybe sometimes it's helpful. It's not always helpful. You don't have to go and understand everything, like your family of origin and stuff like that. But like, I think it's helpful to say, you know, I learned to do this because, You know, I realized that like I was kind of an awkward kid growing up. And if I got people to laugh and I was a little goofy and had a lot of energy, then people liked me. And if I could massage things and get people to like, you know, feel good about themselves, that they would like me too. And if I were perfect and never made a mistake and never did, then I always got A's and I would be special. And if I were always the best I possibly could be, then you see that like I learned, you can learn from pain, a certain mask, a certain existence, a way of living that gets you a way of feeling accepted. But that only goes so far. And eventually that becomes a limiting thing. And it's like I don't I get tired of living that. And that's the thing is like I'm learning and kind of really in this process of formulating now is that like you can still take the best parts of the skill set you developed and the unique perceptive lens that you are as a human. You can take the best of that, but then move and be motivated by gratitude, love, and a bigger perspective of like, I only get to live once. This is amazing. I get to talk to someone, I get to provide value to somebody. I can help someone feel good about themselves. So it's like a lot of times we learn a way of orienting ourselves. It's a, it's a double-edged sword. So the shadow side and like the divine side in some sense, we learn a way from pain because pain gets us away. But when we lean back into that pain and saying, I just felt insecure, it's like, and then you can find a way into leaning in to see what it is and just like shift that around saying, what a blessing it is to be able to do this, to be alive and have this. So for someone who's in pain, the first thing is realizing like, the pain is a message from your body telling you something. If you're tired all the time, you're fatigued, you're probably not sleeping well. You're probably eating a bunch of junk food like there's something and so like if you don't want that pain anymore you have to change that eventually when you stop numbing and moving away from the pain and you lean into the pain which always requires discomfort effort and just being in the hard place when you can lean into that pain you address it and you learn from it and you move on otherwise this is like this kind of constant circle of life who keep repeating the same thing over again and so it's like it's not so much like off oh, your pain like oh you know don't go i'm not like it can be helpful to get help like either therapist or coach, a physical therapist, or like a, a personal trainer, something that could support you and give you confidence while you will have that. That can be amazing. It could just be a friend. It could be like a, a bet you make with yourself. It could be anything. But the idea is like something that gets you leaning into the, the discomfort and then appreciating your pain. When you can appreciate your pain, you know you've learned your lesson.
0: Okay, so I that have two, means you move on. I got two questions. We have like 20 minutes left, and I, I'm going to have some rapid fires for you too that people aren't ready for. I'll so try. Be ready for it. I'll try. It, I'll try okay. a rapid fire.
1: No. I don't know if I've ever tried. But I've yeah. never done a rapid fire rapidly.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, so uh, t- I, have, I always have like these two questions. As, as I could talk to you for hours, by the way. So, um, we will. I,
1: well, we'll spend most time together.
0: Uh, one of my friends, uh, he was asking this. He said, can you ask Graham this? So I had some people reach out to me because they knew I was going to talk to you. They said, can you ask Graham this? And I said, sure. Uh, he was asking, he has persistent belly fat male, uh, and he's mm-hmm. wondering how, what's the best exercise? Uh, he said he's tried his dieting. He doesn't know what kind of exercise he should do uh, to get rid of that persistent belly fat. I think a lot of people have that question. Mm-hmm. And then the other question he said is, well, let's what, start with,
1: oh, it's both from him.
0: Yes. And okay, then the second cool. question is, if you could choose one exercise for overall fitness, what exercise would that be? Would you recommend somebody to do?
1: Um, so with the belly fat is an interesting thing because it's not as simple as like what exercise to do, because what I do realize is that like all exercise in a capacity is based off of like, it's nutrition in a sense. Like, so you can move and exercise, but if you ever look at like how many calories you burn from a really hard workout, it's like a few hundred. It's like, it's a very, it's a very hard thing to have to like exercise away the 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 belly fat in a sense so the hard part is that it is it does go down to your diet My specific encouragement with a diet is well the simplest thing you could do like i'll give three simple steps one is optimize for protein just get more protein in your diet two it's the sauce thing i think if you wouldn't eat it without a bunch of sauce or dressing don't eat it (laughs) because like i think it's so simple of like people go in and look at the fridges and most people if they like if you go look at their house, I mean, of the, the pantries are the rough part because they have a lot of junk food there, but it's like most things are refrigerated. It's not that bad, but it's like, if they, you look at the side, there was like this dressing, and dressing, and dressing, and dressing. And the problem is that there's a lot of vegetable and seed oils, which are very hard for your body to process and they have a, a pretty negative effect on you, especially when it comes to belly fat. So it's just so like re reassociating with what you eat. It's like, that's a big part too. Um, and then the third part is just like, there's a relationship with food that I think most people never think about, which is that we think of this, like we get hungry and yet most people don't really know what hunger is. They confuse hunger and boredom. So it's like, you know, we eat, but it's like we use food as an outlet for stress, as a social lubricant as something that makes it feel good. as something we do when we're mad, happy, angry. And it's like, you know, I think that there's something to be said for like adding in some fasting is really valuable. Um, and my trick to doing that is like chewing gum. Like one of the best things is you chew, like I have this full gum, which is really good for the jaw. It's like tough uh, Turkish gum, with no sugar, no flavoring. And just chew cause it keeps you like, especially a little hack for him when you finish dinner. Cause it's like, most people will crush. They'll be fine. They're busy. They work. They'll eat all day. It's kind of all over. They're doing decently well. And then they eat. And then it's like the after night where they get like, I'm bored. And I'm stressed. Instead of going to bed, they just kind of sit there and like I rummage for the pantry. Chewing gum, like getting it's called full of F-A-L-I-M. I love this stuff. It's like I've been chewing it for years. And this actually made a big difference in my jaw development and strength of my face. But so first thing is like optimize protein, try and get a gram per pound body weight. Second is, you know, be mindful of like don't eat don't add sauces to stuff, like sauces and dressings, because those are the biggest things that like add in calories and flavor and then make otherwise really like pasta. No one's eating plain pasta. No one. But you put a bunch of sauce in. So that doesn't mean you can't enjoy that stuff. But it's like most breads, most pastas, most like most like very most vegetables, most salads. It's like you just wouldn't eat that without salad dressings. It's like so. Just something to as a little thing to think about. And then third is like grab some gum to chew, so that when you know you'd otherwise be bored and want to eat, you have something in your mouth to occupy. Like those things really make a difference. All that being said, the best thing I would tell them to exercise for, for most people, is walking. Just walk. If you can get out and walk for thirty minutes a day, like and just make that a habit, listen to a podcast. It it is so so undervalued. It's amazing if you could just get into habit of walking in the sunlight. It gets you breath, fresh air, sunlight exposure, vitamin D for your skin. You're moving. It's so easy. And then eventually, if you feel good about it, build up in the running. I and like you know if you want to do the training, get that point. You could sprint at some point. Like that's amazing. Sprinting is the most cardiovascularly like weight taxing like you could do like you're going to burn the most calories when you sprint things just because your body knows what's contributing but that takes a long time to get there simply walk in and then as you feel better start jogging a little bit and start running and they like build up from there it's beautiful
0: oh man i love it i love it man i could go on with you i'm gonna you're gonna do it definitely a part two for me here um gonna... here we go what is your guilty pleasure food
1: it used to be hint of, lay, hint of lime Tostitos chips. I would eat a bag of those. I had to myself just a bag a week. That was years ago because I stopped doing that. Uh, guilty pleasure, like food now. I love food. I love food. Like I love to eat. Part of the reason I work out so much is so I can eat. But, um, you know, it's really – so like guilty pleasure is like something I eat daily or just like what I would go to. It's cheese. I, not even che- I enjoy that too. Like I just love a lot of food
0: okay what is it's your sweet favorite,
1: sweet sugars and stuff probably that
0: what's your fa- favorite marvel character or DC this character? is
1: such a great question and i had this little thought that like i think there's something about the character you're attracted to says something about the archetype of who you want to be as an individual what you value as a priority and it's funny because i was like i don't i don't know who i'd be but then i was i had this conversation with another podcast and they're talking like i think you'd be spider-man i was like I don't want to be Spider Man because it it's just is like he's so lame. He's so average, but I think it honestly has got to be like my Marvel soul character has got to be Spider Man because average dude, new great power. Like he he understand. He's torn between the conflict of like power and responsibility. Like he sees these things, but he's intelligent. He sees it, he gets stuck in between. It's like he's a hopeless romantic. He wants to do right, but he's just you know he's limited by his capacities. He's, he's uh, I, I think I empathize a lot with with Spider Man. I think that would be my answer. Okay, if, if, although I don't like spiders.
0: What, what would the older Graham, this version of yourself, tell the teenage Graham?
1: Oh, me right now?
0: Uh-huh, advice wise, you can just give him one piece of advice. You, can, you, you as the adult, are going to give the, the younger version of yourself some advice. What would that be?
1: Try harder, have fun, try harder and relax more, uh, and then, like, enjoy, uh, like, take more risks. So like I, I tend to play it, say I've gotten better and better at taking risks, but it's like try harder. At the things that you really like what you care about, care about it and lean into it and try as hard as you can. Like just enjoy it because you get the opportunity. Relax and enjoy it because there's no rules about that anyways. And it's like there are no rules to life and you're not going to be like in 10 years with the way your memory is wired. You're not even going to remember any of this stuff anyways. And then take more risk because like, you know, that's where you create stories, either a story or a learning lesson
0: and if you if you could meet one person in your life your dream person anytime in history who would it be and what would you tell them What would i tell, them? tell him him anybody. or him, him or her so it doesn't matter whoever it's some, yeah. some, some someone in your life you could meet one time it doesn't matter where in history and what would you tell them
1: well there's people so there, there's two parts of me in some capacity one of which is the part of me that would want to go and experience what it's like, a part of me that wants to go and learn from the future, like there's people that I'd want to meet now and be like, and just spend time with them. But honestly, it would be Jesus <laughs> as one example um, on one end. And then
0: um, what would your question be? What would your question be?
1: It's not so much a question. Like I, I don't, I would want to be, cause there's so, so I, I break this down into two things. It's like, I do think that there is, oh, and Socrates, those are, uh, and, Plato they're like those three um but it's oh Anthony DeMello Jesus and Socrates those three but the question is it's not so much I want to ask them because I think that there's things there's some people who just demonstrate knowledge in terms of words like they're able to describe things I want to learn I want to listen to you like those are people you can lead from writing but there's other people who demonstrate knowledge and wisdom in this like empirical way just being around them of like like I know a lot about these people, but I would want to be around them and just to like get that third dimension sense for like, yeah, are you living in alignment? Are you someone I should aspire to model my life after in a sense? Because it's like, I know a lot about Jesus and Socrates and some of these uh, ancient thinkers, these people that are incredibly, uh, and even um, Eric, not um, who's uh, Marcus Aurelius, like those guys, like I know a lot about these people, but it's like, I want to just spend a day with them and just be like, how do you treat the people around you? How do you live? Do you seem like someone that's at peace and at ease? Like, that's what I would want. I don't have anything to ask them. It's just like, because everything that they would have that's a value is written down and set already. But like what they can't, what you can't write down is like, how do you exist? How do you feel?
0: Okay. And here's, here's, I usually end it with this one. It's, it's, it depends. A lot of people take it a lot of different ways, but Graham, what do you want to be remembered for when you're no longer in this earth? When people look back and, they talk about Graham Tuttle. What, what do you want to be remembered for?
1: That's an interesting question. Because on one hand, I have no anticipation of anybody remembering me at all, in the sense but that they are. Generation to, but they are. But they are,
0: they, they are. And so what do you want to, when they look back and they say, Graham Tuttle, what do you want to go through people's minds? about you so
1: what i would i think the first thing is i would want to be i would rather i don't want to be remembered for what i didn't like i wouldn't remember for what i how I made people feel in a sense like the opportunity of like the inspiration of like that's someone who lived life and inspired me to live the life like to to appreciate truly what it is to be alive and like to be curious to lean in like just this idea of like this if like, you you know what the American dream is supposed to be in some idea, which is like this, there is an opportunity for you to manifest something of independent, individual value in your life. And it's like that freedom. I'm telling me to choose, but like choose, but like be, to be curious, to be grateful, to be present. Like those three, like if I can be a reminder that like that person is someone that was curious, grateful and present, like that's what I would want more than anything else. And it's like, not so much that, like I don't think that there's going to be a unique individual intellectual contribution or a bunch of things that I did, like. But if I can inspire people in a sense to be curious, grateful, and present, that's really it. Like, because then that entire because I want them to think inwards, like instead of thinking about me, I would want for whatever it is that my life called me to to be something that ref- get, got them to reflect and turn their attention inwards to themselves to with open awe, wonder, and appreciation. That well, would be a life
0: well lived. Well, you know, Graham, one of the things I have to tell you, um, just personally as a person that follows you, is one of the reasons that I follow you is because I know every time I, every time I click onto your your Instagram or your TikTok, it's I, I'm going to get a burst of energy, hmm. and a burst of good energy, and and I really really appreciate that. I don't think that you probably understand just for, as a person from the outside. It's you know, I'm I'm just telling you that. You always energize me, and I know it must be a lot of other people because I think that's why everybody follows you. You just have so much good information, but you're so passionate about wanting to help others. So, let me ask you this um, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, how do they follow you on TikTok, IG, your website? If they want your wonderful services, you're an amazing trainer. And I'm going to definitely have a part two with you because I know there's, gonna, there's yeah. a million that I, I haven't even got to half the questions I wanted to. Um, well, how, would, great. how would they get a hold of you? So, the simplest
1: way is it's at the barefoot sprinter all one word but the barefoot sprinter on instagram and TikTok. um what i would say and just just as a next step for people so i've got and a youtube as well so like i've got podcasts youtube articles the website is something i need to re-update and stuff like that but um in terms of content like i've got a lot of stuff i really try to be very forth forthright with like all the stuff i'm learning because it's really just an experience for me to learn things but if people want just to to get to know me more in those places like that would be instagram and tiktok would be the best place to start i would go instagram just because i spend more stories and stuff there but as far as like next steps for people so like what i do is i i um i run three different classes in my main part so ready to run is for the feet ankles lower legs ready to rock is for the hip spine and back and pelvic floor and ready to roll is for the neck jaw face shoulders elbows wrist hands and fingers and these are the ninety-seven dollars each. It's a thirty-day program with a fifty-thousand-word book, two group coaching calls, daily tech support, and like a direct email check-in. And I've got a world-class team of these great coaches that help. And it's like, it's no equipment needed. It's it doable. 20 30 minutes a day at home. It's all the education. It's like I want to inspire, I educate you. This is your body. And if you're the goal, like it's it starts at the basement level. If you're in pain, you're trying to move better, you want to understand things better, like these things are meant to be very accessible. You can do them and you got direct coaching. And so that if you want next steps, you want help on getting your body back They're each a month long. And it's something that's meant to be accessible for everybody. So that's my goal is to get hundred thousand people going through that stuff. Cause I think like that can help people open up their life again. Um, but that would be the next best step if you really want to like, tangibly start to work on your life.
0: And, and, and Graham, do you have uh, different places around the country that you tour? I know that you visit different places. Um, Is there a way for people to get a hold of you if they can't come to Northern California? Can they, can they come out to you? You'll come out to them. How does that work?
1: I would say my life has changed dramatically in this last year, but really the last seven months or six months. Um, So I do travel a lot. So I'll be up in in Boise, I think doing like a ready to run or a charity run kind of thing. Then back to North Carolina, then back to Southern California, then uh, Vancouver. So I'll travel a lot. I generally talk about it when I'm on my social media, but, I would say like at some point, probably in the next year or two, I would love the idea of like being able to do a tour and just like go host conversations and, and meet people and go run and do kind of that that stuff. So I think that could be a lot of fun. Um, so that would definitely be something I'm to working towards. does not have anything I have set up right now, but it would be something
0: to work towards. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being on the podcast. If, Everybody likes to pause it, give it a thumbs up and keep learning and until next time. Thank you so much for being here. Graham, you are the best. Um, like I said, there's gonna be a part two with you. Great energy, good you're a good person. And uh thank you for being on here. I know you've taken a significant amount of your time and I know you're very busy. So thank you so, so much. I appreciate it. I'm you. honored to have the opportunity to talk to an amazing figure like you. So no, it's it's all you and I will definitely stay uh, stay on after our, and thank you so much for everybody and we'll talk to we'll see you next time with our next guest thank you.